about that name. If you have your Bibles, and I trust that you do, if you can open with me to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis 16, welcome to week four of our Names of God series, where we are walking through the names of God. It's revealed to us in Scripture, understanding that God has a name for every need that we will ever walk through. We have seen the petition for us to pray, hallowed be your name. We have seen Elohim as the strong creator. Last week we saw El Elyon, the most high God, meaning there's nothing greater than him. And all of our problems and difficulties find their right spot underneath him. And this morning we come to a name that is only mentioned one time in the Bible. It is a name as you see on the screen, but you're going to, as I've heard it mispronounced this week, because I did it as well, but the Hebrew pronunciation is El-Ra-E. I know some of you just like Elroy. No, that, that's George Jetson's son. <laughs> El-Ra-E is the name of the God who sees me. Think about this. Have you ever been in a situation where you were taken advantage of, where you felt helpless with nowhere to turn? Have you ever been treated unjustly by someone, whether it be an employer or maybe even someone you thought was a, a friend and you did everything that you could? Or have you ever felt that God had lost sight of you in the midst of what you were going through? And that's exactly the situation that a slave or a servant girl found herself in. So the, we, the event that we find ourselves in the day, like Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities, was the best of times and it was the worst of times, and the worst of times came first. The first part of this story is a human story. The second part of the story is when God shows up and everything changes. So today's name, El Rai, appears in the midst of a painful triangle of relationships between Abram, Sarai, and Sarai's slave, Hagar. Now, this was before God would change Abram's name to Abraham and Sarai's name to Sarah. But the story we're about to read contains weakness, jealousy, competition, contempt, scorn, rejection, and even abuse. So let me give you the background and kind of set the stage of where we're going today. So when Abram was 75 years old, God came to Abram and said, Abram, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. The problem is up until that point, Abram and his wife Sarai had zero children. At least 10 years passed and still no children. Both Abram and Sarai misrepresented God's delay to be God's denial. So they thought, well, because God delayed, God must say no. Therefore, they sought to take matters into their own hands. And this is something I use a lot, but one of the greatest definitions I've ever found for faith is faith is living life without scheming. Faith is living life without scheming. And oh, how prone we are, tempted we are to scheme our way through life. So Abram and Sarai turned to scheming. Sarai basically told Abram, God is not going to keep his promise, or at least he's not going to keep his promise um, to me, or I'm not part of the plan, therefore take my servant, sleep with her, maybe I can bear children that way. And Abram, for some reason, thought it was a good idea, and he went along with it. 
Now, in the ancient world, it was definitely not uncommon for an infertile wife to arrange for a slave girl to sleep with her husband so that the family could have an heir. In fact, in most of those days, Ishmael, the son born to Abram and Hagar, would have been considered Sarai's legal child. But let me just say this. Abram is more than just complicit here. As the one to whom God gave the promises to, when Sarai came to Abram and gave this idea, Abram should have said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to wait on the Lord. We're going to trust his timing. We're going to believe that God gave us a promise and God will be faithful to his word. Instead, Abram gave in and chaos ensued. Hagar became pregnant and she immediately began to look down upon Sarai. Sarai complained to Abram, and Abram basically said, you treat her however you want to. She's in your hands. Well, Sarai treated her harshly, and when the situation became unbearable, Hagar ran away. But she soon found herself in a desperate situation, alone, pregnant, in a desert. And just think about the emotions that Hagar must have been experiencing in that moment, fear loneliness, the feelings of being unwanted and unloved, the burden of being responsible for another. Remember, she's pregnant, alone, utterly forsaken in the desert. Yet Hagar realizes that there is one who has taken notice of her. There is one who sees her. And don't we all find ourselves at one time or another, as Brother Curtis just mentioned, in desperate situations? Now, even if our circumstances aren't always desperate, they can be difficult and they can be disorienting and we can feel as if there's no hope. And even in times of hopelessness, we can be assured that El Rai sees us. He sees us. Therefore, there is hope for us. I was thinking about uh, Denise Colmeyer, message that she gave in Unlocking the Bible. She gave us this message that adds comfort knowing that our God sees. And here's what she wrote. El Rai is not blind to your plight. Your situation has not taken him by surprise, although it may have taken you by surprise. Being omniscient, he sees exactly what is happening to you every second of the day, good and bad. Your situation, your very life is always before his eyes. Nothing escapes his divine notice or attention. He meets us in our downcast state, and he pours out grace upon us. So El Rai is the God who sees us, the God who knows us. And this, this week, this study has been so beneficial to me. And I pray that it will be beneficial to you because what that means is this. There, there are no heartaches. There are no sufferings. There are no troubles or circumstances that El Rai doesn't know and care about. He sees you right now. We can say his eye is on the sparrow. Therefore, we know he watches us. He watches us. So let's dive into this text and behold the God who sees me and the God who sees you. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. We'll also have the verses on the screen. We're going to read all of Genesis 16, so 1 through 16. So let's read it together. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. 
And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. So just in case you don't understand what that means, basically Sarah looked at Abram and said, this is all your fault. It's kind of what that means. So may the Lord judge between you and me. Verse 6, now Abram said to Sarah, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Ber Lahai Rai. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now. Come into your word. God, asking you to speak to us. And we know, Holy Spirit, you always attend your word to speak to us. Have your way in our lives. Show us, O oh God, this very day that you're a God who sees us. Lord, just have your way in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. So think about this. Inside all of our hearts lies this innate need for us to be seen. So we, our personalities may affect that to some degree, but every one of us needs to be seen, and we really need to know that we are seen by God. It's almost as if it's in our DNA, because Scripture tells us that God himself desires to be known, and God is a God who reveals himself to us. So maybe that's why deep in our core we need to be seen and we need to be known and yet no one sees us and no one knows us like God think about how we often see things and how we search things so many of us in this room often pass the time by scrolling through social media so we scroll through we scan strangers vacation portraits we um, celebrate family members accomplishments or we read comments because we're nosy um, we also sometimes judge our lives based on other people's filtered uh, lives online. Yet often in the midst of our scrolling, we just glaze over. And what I mean by that is our thumbs can just go on autopilot, to which our minds ignore almost everything around us, and we begin just to scroll to escape, 
scroll to pass time. We scroll just to scroll. We rarely see in those moments in an attentive way. Yet how different our God is. God is not distractingly throw, uh, thumbing through our feeds trying to catch up on your life and my life. God's not saying, well, I wonder what happened in the last 24 hours in, in their lives. No, God sees and knows every part of your life and every part of my life. And then think about this. Hagar is a woman here that feels invisible, yet someone, the greatest someone, saw her. And God's seeing is so different in the way that we see because he sees with all knowledge, he sees with all attentiveness, he sees with all care every one of our lives. And think about this. There are products on the market today that can keep track of the elderly, that can keep track of our pets, that can keep track of our wallets and our keys. There are even these pretty ankle bracelets that can keep track of parolees. Some of you will get that way later. But as useful as all of these locators might have been, let me tell you, they would have done Hagar no good. Let me tell you why. No one was looking for her. No one cared. No one cared about her and the life within her womb. No one cared enough to even look. And here Hagar is in the desert, alone, impoverished, pregnant. Can't think of a worse nightmare for, for any mom than that situation. Yet Hagar discovered in that moment, probably one of the lowest moments of her life, that she was not alone. El Rai saw her, was with her, interacting with her. And here's the beauty of it. Hagar actually gave deity, gave God this name. Did you know that no other character in the Old Testament, male or female, does that? Now, it's not unusual for us to give names to our kids, for us to name our dogs, for us to even name sacred sites, but never do we get to name God with the exception of Hagar. So Hagar is considered a minor character in the Bible. She's not a woman who wrote a book of the Bible. She's not a woman that we would think of as having authority or influence or, or power, yet she is the only person in the Old Testament to give God a name. And here's what we know. Abram didn't see Hagar. Sarai didn't see Hagar. They knew her, and they saw her as someone that they could bring into their scheme as they were scheming their way through life in this moment. But God saw her, and it changed everything. Hagar, the one who felt invisible, no one cares, no one sees me, in her lowest moment met one who saw her, who knew her. So I want to quickly lay before us three truths of El Rai, the God who sees us. Truth number one is this, El Rai comes to us. He comes to us. He comes to where we are. So Hagar fled to the wilderness. So she was friendless, homeless, pregnant, not knowing what, what would become of her. Yet she lays down by this fountain in the wilderness. And we read in verse 7, you see it on the screen, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. Now, that word sure literally means a wall. So it tells us that Hagar was very, very, very close to having her back against the wall. This is kind of moment that she's in. And she wasn't looking for anyone, but the angel of the Lord was looking for her. And here's what I want you to see this morning. Our God is a seeking God. 
You might have thought or think that you found God. And let me just assure you, you did not find God. God found you. We were lost. We were confused. We were wandering away from him. And he came looking for us and he found us. And because he sees everything and knows everything, you aren't hard to find. I'm not hard to find. Listen, if you know Jesus is Savior, understand you didn't think I need a little help in my life, therefore I'm going to make Jesus Savior. No, Jesus did not come to seek and save those who needed a little help in their lives. He came to seek and save those who were lost. Those who were lost. The problem is, in our sinful pride, we don't like to admit we were lost. We don't like to admit there was a time that we were lost and could not help ourselves. We need to own up to that fact. And I would even say this, there are Christians in this room, maybe watching online, that today you're lost. Not that you're unsaved, but you're lost in the sense that you have taken your eyes off of God and you are putting your eyes on everything else and you have lost direction in your life. You are just wondering in the wilderness of your own thoughts and your own emotions and your own feelings. But the good news is that no one, not even a lowly Egyptian servant girl, is too lost in God's sight. And I don't care where you've been. I don't care how many churches you've attended. I don't care how many countries you have visited. You cannot go anywhere where God doesn't see you. We read Psalm 139 on Friday, and that's what it says. David said, I can't get away from God. I can't. Anywhere I go, God is. Listen, I don't care where you go or where you run, God will find you. And here's the beauty for all of us. God will find you in your lowliness. God will find you in your fears. God will find you in your need. God will find you in the midst of your unwanted circumstances. God will find you in the midst of your chaos. God will even find you in the midst of your rebellion. When you are running away from God and you keep looking over your shoulder thinking you have gotten far enough away from him, you stop, you take a breath, you look up, and there God is. You cannot run from him. He finds you even though you think you could never be found. And isn't it profound that God would come after a slave? Listen, we can understand why, maybe in our, in our mind, understand why God would come after Moses. Why God would come after Abraham or David or Elijah, so many others in the Bible, but why go chasing a slave? And in one sense, this woman must be way more important than we think she is. But the angel of the Lord came to her, found her. And here's what's amazing. This is the first appearance of the angel of the Lord in the Bible. So the angel of the Lord didn't appear first to Enoch or Abraham or Noah, but to a single mother-to-be who in her pride rebelled against her mistress and her mistress, of course, who put her in this whole situation, treated her harshly. And the question becomes for us, well, who is the angel of the Lord? Now, there is much debate, but if you go back and listen to our series we did last year on Jesus in the Old Testament, you will know how I feel about this. I believe this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. And let me just give you a few reasons why I believe that. First of all, the angel of the Lord here uses the exact same language and uses the exact same authority as the Lord himself. 
Second of all, Hagar said that in seeing the angel of the Lord, she had literally seen God. Third, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Gideon, Balaam all had similar encounters with the angel of the Lord and all came to the same conclusion that they had seen God. And then finally, this is the best, the angel of the Lord does not appear after the birth of Jesus. We never see the angel of the Lord in the New Testament when Christ comes. But here's the beauty of this. El Ra'i comes to where we are, yet he does not leave us how we are. He comes to us. So El Ra'i comes to us. But then secondly, El Ra'i calls to us. El Ra'i calls to us. Look at verse 8. You'll see on the screen. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? Where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. Did you know that in all Near Eastern literature, Hagar is the only woman that is addressed by name by God? So it's interesting that God never addressed Sarah by name. Not, not just to her. He never addressed Rebecca or Rachel by name. Instead, again, the slave woman who is running away and God comes to her. And the first word out of God's mouth is Hagar. This is God's way of saying, I know you. I can call you by your name. When, when no one else cared enough to show Hagar any decency, God did. God did. And just think about these questions that he asked, or two questions, which I think the questions he's asking us today, where have you come from and where are you going? Where have you come from and where are you going? Think about those questions. Hagar, what are you doing here? Knowing what you know, having experienced what you have experienced, Hagar, what are you doing in the desert? How did you get to this dry place? Hagar, are you meant to live in a desert like this. Hagar, is this where you belong? And then he asks, where are you going? Where are you going? Now, most people believe, according, and I do as well, that she was likely returning to Egypt. Egypt was a place of false worship. It was a place of self-reliance and sufficiency, and she was running back to that place. In fact, think about this. Every time the Israelites, after being delivered from Egypt, every time things went wrong, and they're wilderness wondering, when things get wrong, where do they want to go back to? Let's go back to Egypt. Things were better there. Let's go back there again and again and again. But think about that question. Where are you going? And the angel delivers this message. I want you to go back to what you were running from and submit to it. Follow with me here because that doesn't make sense. What, what a scary message that is. If I was scared enough to run away from it in the first place, what do you think or why would you think I have courage enough to go back to it? God, I ran from that. Why are you sending me back? And the beauty here is that following God not only requires U-turns, we're required by God to repent. We're required by God to turn from our sin and from our trusting in ourselves and turn to him. But in his grace, God also allows us to make U-turns. There are times in, in my life, I won't speak for you, there are times in my life where I'm sitting here beating my head against the wall for the 157th time, and God thankfully, graciously whispers in my ear, 
turn around. You're not getting through. Turn around. There's nothing there for you. And what God is telling Hagar in this moment, and I believe some in this room, you can't spend the rest of your life running away from things that make you uncomfortable. I believe with all my heart that I'm speaking to someone, maybe a few this morning, who has spent your life running from everything that got uncomfortable. As soon as a job got hard, as soon as the situation got tough, as soon as a relationship got tough, you took off running. As soon as conflict happened, you have been running your whole life. And the takeaway phrase for you today is this, stop running. Stop running. Listen, if I stop here and don't preach another word, your word today from the Lord is this, stop running. Stop running from him. You've gone far enough. There's nothing in the desert for you. If you keep running, you'll never experience what God has for, for you. Stop running. I think of the words of Moses to the Israelites, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Or return to that task. Return to the command that God gave you. Return to that purpose. There are people that I talk to as a pastor, and they begin to say things like, I just don't feel God's presence anymore, and I just feel like I'm so far away from him, and I feel this and I feel that, and oftentimes I ask them, when was the last time God told you to do something, and how did you respond? And many times it's, oh, it's been a long time. Well, how long has it been? Well, six months or six years, 16 years, what did God ask you to do? And they'll say, God asked me to do this, and what did you do? I said no. And you're wondering why you don't feel his presence, why you don't feel his peace? Listen, God doesn't give you his peace if you choose not to go his way. God doesn't say you can do whatever you want to do, and I'm going to give you everything you want. That's not the message of God. The message of God is this. You can't forsake me and get my presence too. That's a message, and we don't want to hear that, but that is the message. You can't forsake God and still have his presence. You can't forsake God and still get his peace. You can't walk away. So the answer is this. Go back to the last thing God told you to do. Go back to the last thing God told you to do, and here's a crazy, here's a crazy idea. Do it. Do it. You're like, well, I, I, just, I just can't. Then You can live in the borderlands. You can live in the desert. That's not where God would have you be. That's not where God would have you to dwell. He has a better plan for you than that. Listen, even in Hagar's loneliness and distress, she found out she wasn't alone. The all-present God saw her, called her by name, led her, but he led her back. And he said, you're going to go back there and you're going to submit yourself to it even though you don't like it. Even though you don't like the way it makes you feel, you're going to submit yourself to mistreatment because it's going to make you trust me and want me more. That doesn't, that doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound great at all, but that is the way of God. And this was important to Hagar because this would not be the last time that she found herself in the desert. So El Ra'i comes to us. El Ra'i calls to us, and then number three, El Ra'i comforts us. He comforts us. Look at verse 11. You'll see on the screen. The angel of the Lord said, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. So as God declares here 
Hagar's future, we can get a glimpse of our future. What does that mean? That means there's three things that we can take away. First of all, God is going to be with us. God is going to be with us. If Hagar had any misgivings at all about the Lord seeing her, those misgivings are gone. She was probably in a place where she had cried out to God going, God, if you are real, if you exist, can you please just show yourself to me? And God showed himself in a way that she could never imagine. God said, I have found you. And you are, you are mine. God is going to be with us, but also God is going to be honest with us. Look at verse 12. Listen to verse 12. Speaking about her son, he shall be a wild donkey of a man. I won't give you the, the Micah International version of that. But his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Listen, if you read the Bible, and it's a good thing for you to read the Bible, you're going to know that God is going to be honest with you. In fact, if you don't want to hear the truth, then stay away from the Bible. Because John 17, Jesus says, your word is truth. We're going to hear truth. God is going to be honest with us, even if we don't want honesty. But God is truth. But then third, God will command us. Think about the way that God commanded Hagar here. Go back, return, submit. And then God even says this, you don't even get to name your child. I'm going to name your child for you. Your child's going to be named Ishmael. But the beautiful thing is here, the name Ishmael means God hears. Follow with me here. The reason God gave Ishmael his name is so that every time Hagar used that name, and she probably used it a lot. Think about this. She's raising a donkey. She's raising a donkey of a son. And so she probably used his name a lot. But every time she used his name, she was reminded something about God, that God hears her. God hears her. You know what Hagar would say to us? You might say that God doesn't hear you, but he hears me. He hears me. He hears me. Now, let me tell you this, brother, brothers and sisters today. God hears you. He hears you. The angel of the Lord showed up in a bad situation, but the saga of Hagar doesn't end here. In fact, flip over to Genesis chapter 21. I want to show you something. Genesis 21 gives us the conclusion of the story. So Hagar returns to Abram and Sarai. Eventually, God would change Abram's name to Abraham father of a multitude, and he would change Sarai's name to Sarah. Hagar would return. She would have Ishmael, as we just read. And when Ishmael was about 15 years old, Sarah finally gives birth to Isaac, the son of promise. Then there was trouble because Sarah saw Ishmael making fun of her baby, and Mama Bear wasn't happy. Mama Bear's like, not in my home. Not in this house. You ain't doing that here. So Sarah demanded that Abraham give Hagar her marching papers. Like give her her eviction notice. She is out. And she's taking her donkey of a son with her. They're, they are gone. And Abraham wasn't happy. He was distressed. Yet God comes to Abraham and says, don't you worry. I have a plan for Hagar and Ishmael and I will fulfill my plan. So Abraham sent Hagar and Ishmael away from the house to wander in the wilderness. Now, where were they going? Probably back to Egypt. Yet things got worse. Look at chapter 21, beginning at verse 15. It says, When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. 
Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way, good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. Listen, Hagar was once again in a hopeless situation. All seemed lost. The water that Abraham had given them was depleted. And she literally takes Ishmael, who's around 15 years old, and she lays him under shade because she knows without water he is about to die. But she thought to myself, I can't sit by him and watch him die. But she also thought, but I can't desert him either. I can't walk away from him completely. I've got to be in a place where I can at least watch him. So her mama heart couldn't stand the idea of watching him die, but also her mama heart couldn't stand the thought of leaving him either. Then God opened Hagar's eyes to see a well of water in which her and Ishmael could drink. And here's, the, here's what I want you to understand. I've always wondered if grief blinded Hagar's eyes to see that the well had already been there. Like, the Bible does not tell us that God miraculously made a well appear, even though God absolutely can do that. What it seems to tell us is that God opened Hagar's eyes to see that there had been a well the whole time. And the point is this. Many times, brothers and sisters, we don't see the provision right in front of us because our hearts are blinded by fear, by worry, by grief, by the shadow of the unknown. And all we see is that. And we can't see the provision that God has provided for us beyond that. And so we sit here in our defeat, we sit here in our misery, we sit here just sitting in all of it when God is saying, open your eyes, provision is waiting on you. Listen, when I think of the way that God continued to minister to Hagar, to Ishmael, I think of the words of Anne Spangler in her book, Praying the Names of God. It has been a beneficial study already in our, just our four weeks. But here's what she writes. The promise God made to Hagar and to Ishmael, so many years before, stretched itself thin during their time of trial, but never so thin as to break. For God upheld the word he had spoken years before. Remember this when you fell for a time to find God's help or to receive answer to your prayers. Remember that, brothers and sisters, that God's promises might stretch super, super thin, but God's promises will never break. Because God's word says God is not a man that he would lie or a son of man that he will ever change his mind. What God promises, he will fulfill. El Ra'i sees us. He sees every hair on our head. Now, for some of us, that's not very impressive. For others of us, that is very impressive. But God sees every hair on our head. He knows our deepest needs. We are known. He sees the whole of us inside and out, our past, our present, our future. When things are hard, we are not alone. He sees us. He is with us. And maybe you are here today and your whole life you felt overlooked. Your whole life you've felt like you've never been regarded. Your whole life, you feel like you've never been given a chance. You feel like no one sees you. 
even maybe you're here today and you're a single mom, like Hagar, who feels alone and maybe even abandoned. Let me say to all of us, El Ra'i sees you. He sees you. I believe today with all my heart that the reason God has me standing behind this pulpit this morning is to say this, thus says the Lord, I see you. I see you. God sees you today. You might not have resources. You might not have the title. You might not feel significant in any way, but God says you are seen. I see you. El Ra'i is mindful of you. Write that name over and over and over again in your Bibles. El Ra'i. El Ra'i. Say it over and over again. Remind yourself. You might not be able to see him through your circumstances, but he sees you. He sees you. He is El Ra'i. He will not let you be abandoned in the desert. He is El Ra'i when you're on the mountain. He is El Ra'i when you are in the valley. El Ra'i sees you right where you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows how you feel. He is acquainted with all of your ways. And he is telling you, when you're in the desert, he is telling you, you will make it out because he will lead you out. God sees you. You are seen. And right at this moment, ask El Ra'i to open your eyes. To open your eyes to his work. To open your eyes to his provision. Ask El Ra'i to increase your faith in him. Especially when his promises seem impossible to fulfill. Some of you are thinking right now, you're thinking, this is all great and good. But all this stuff you talked about could just go away if God would just give me what I want. And let me just tell you, if God's not giving you what you want, you better be happy. There's a really, really good reason God doesn't give us what we want. I believe with all my heart, if God gave us everything we wanted, we'd been dead 10 years ago. The reality is this. God doesn't give us what we want. He gives us what we need. And what we need most in every situation is him, his presence. And he comes to us. And according to Isaiah 43, he calls us by name. And he says this, you are mine. You are mine, and that's enough for every circumstance. That's enough for every situation. That's enough for every difficulty. Calls us by name. You are mine. You will make it through because I will lead you from this. Oh, may we know today, may we hold today to El Rai, the God who sees us. I'm going to go ahead and ask us to stand. We're going to call the praise team forward as we enter in this time of invitation and consecration and let us pray together in this moment father o l rai we thank you that we are seen we are seen by you and we're not just seeing god in one in one standpoint that is so comforting lord you see us oh god you see us and another standpoint god that is so convicting because god you see us you see every part of us you see all that we do but yet, Lord, you care. You're concerned. You're acquainted with all of our ways. And you continue to come to us. You continue to call to us. You continue to want to lead us and guide us. And Lord, we pray that you would do that in this moment. That there would be people in this room, God, listening online, that today their eyes are open to you seeing them. Their eyes are open to the fact that they are seen by you. And God, that they would, in this moment, Lord, call upon your name. 
that would in this moment, Lord, trust your provision. Trust what you're doing. Trust that, Lord, you will not leave them alone in the desert, even though you might be calling them back to a certain situation, a certain command that you gave them that they didn't want to do. But yet, Lord, you're still calling them. The fact that we're here today shows us, Lord, you haven't given up on us. Finish this time today in a way that only you can. We pray these things in Jesus' name.